now. Greetings to all of you who have gathered here this morning. Hi, Mai. Welcome to the Future Journeys web conference. Just before we get underway, I'm going to start us off with a karakia. Unuhia te pō, te pō whiribarama. Tomakia te ao, te ao whakitangata. Tātai ki runga, tātai ki raro, tātai ahorau. Hamiye, huiye, baikie. Yeah. Well, kia ora tātou. Uh, welcome to our speaking school. Great to have you here this morning. Who can tell me what school you're from? I know you're from Balclutha. Can you just remind me, please? Yep. Rosebank. Rosebank. All right. Now, yeah. you know, when I first heard about that school, I thought, oh, Rosebank, that's in Auckland, because there's a place called Rosebank in Auckland. But no, you're miles away from Auckland, that is. You're actually right next to the U. <laughs> We've got two fantastic experts to answer your questions this morning. We have Francois and Wilson. And if you go onto the website and go to the experts page, you can watch a little video where both of these experts introduce themselves and talk a little bit more about the work they do. So we've got Rosebank School, our speaking school this morning. Really excited to hear what your questions are. Just a reminder um, that when you ask your question, if you introduce yourself with your first name and make sure you're nice and close to the microphone uh, when you are asking it. So I think that's about it. Have your first question, eh? Question number one. Oh, stop talking to me. You guys have been nice and quiet. <laughs> Hi, my name's Dadoha. My name's Cruz. Why did you decide to make a tunnel for the trains? And whose idea was that? Okay, I, I start. <laughs> good morning. Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, uh, I think you have to, uh, to see that we are working in Auckland, in the middle of the city. So not so much a space. You have a lot of buildings, a lot of infrastructure. We have bridges. So in order to disturb as less as possible the people and the, the, the life in the city, it's better to go underground. So like a, a lot of cities, uh, a lot of cities, they have underground metro. So you are basically disturbing uh, the city at the, at the shaft. So at the, the points where we are starting and finishing the tunnels. That is one of the first points. And after, there are particularities as well. Uh, we have to connect two points, Montedon and, uh, and Aotea, and there is uh, on the Britomart as well, and there is uh, issue with slopes, because the train, they can take a maximum gradient. So at least with underground, we can have something regular. It would have required a lot of uh, excavation works, or bridges or things like that, complicated to, to make it running in the middle of Auckland because Auckland is not a flat city. Yeah? Mm. So to go underground for various reasons is uh, the best option yeah? for people, the less disturbances, but as well to have a, a regular slope for the train. Yeah? 
Yeah. Yeah, not much space left in uh, Tamaki Nakaro, Auckland now. Yeah. Um, lots of buildings, lots of roads. So that's, uh, it makes sense to go underground and yeah. we have the technology to do so. Yeah. Why not? Uh, Wilson, have you got anything more to add to that? Um, no, I don't really agree with um, Francois. There's not much space to go, so we might as well just go underground and, yeah, less disturbance to the city. That's and right. There, there, there are cities in the world where you have uh, several generations of uh, subways. So you have a first layer, not so deep. Uh, so which was, uh, for example, when you are in London or Paris, it was constructed more than 100 years ago. Uh, after there was the second generation, a little bit deeper. Now the third generation of uh, lines, of subway lines, even deeper. So you... So people continue in big, in very dense city to build underground, but deeper and deeper yeah, to, to accommodate uh, increased traffic. Uh, what's do you know? What's the deepest uh, tunnel that takes a train, Francois? Do you know? The deepest uh, by deep. <laughs> it depends because there are there are tunnels which are going through mountains. So here you can have uh, you can be very deep compared to the mountain. Huh? Uh, so you can have 2,000 or 3,000 of meters of mountain above you, but in a city, uh, yeah, you can be uh, like a subway in, a, in a, uh, Saint Petersburg in Russia. It's quite deep. Uh, probably it's about 100 meters deep, I guess. Yeah. So Orthodox are not so deep. We are about 30, 35 meters deep. Huh? 100 meters. Put your hand up if you'd like to go on a train 100 meters under the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's been, I know, I know that this tunnel is is going to be constructed to very high safety standards. So you'd have to feel confident. And you probably wouldn't even really feel like you're underground as such. So it's interesting you, that Francois talked about underground or a tunnel through a mountain, which is essentially still underground because you have ground above you. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought about it like, like that. So that's a really good point, Francois. Okay, um, Gladstone, can we have your second question this morning, please? Uh, you have to unmute. Hi, my name is Tyler, and how many people will use the train a year? <laughs> Thanks, Tyler. <laughs> That's a good question. We had to make a, a little bit of research about that. <laughs> uh, the target is uh, uh, what is it, 30 million by 2030 and 40 million by 2040. So it's easy to remember. <laughs> yeah. So it's a lot of passengers, effectively. It's a trip. It's a tw uh, 30, uh, 30 million mm -hmm. uh, and 40 million by 2030 and 2040. Right. So that's that not that many people as such, but that's no, no exactly. Yeah, yes. that's trips. I don't think the population is going that much. The um, that's how many train trips that yeah. would be. That's quite amazing. So, you know, if you guys think about that, you know, you think about 30 million train trips by 2030, yeah. that's 30 million less car trips. Yeah, so. Um, you know, so what's that going to help with? Does anybody know? If we take those cars off the road and replace it with, with a, an electric train, what will that help with? Does anybody know? Uh, less pollution. Yeah, that's right. 
Exactly. Less carbon emissions. The emissions coming out of the exhaust pipes and fossil uh, fuels that are used. Well, most cars are uh, pushed to get electric cars, of course. But um, so that's great. So it's uh, going to save people perhaps even needing to own a car. We'll see in the future. Okay, thank you very much, Gladstone and Tyler, for your question. Can we have question number three now, please? Bye. See ya. Bye. <laughs> These guys have both got red uniforms. Hello, my name is Jacob. Will the train be self-driving? Yeah, will the train be self-driving? Good question. Uh, yeah, uh, no, the train will not be automatic. It will not be self-driving. So you need a, 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 a driver. Uh, so it's a traditional train huh, in a certain way, yeah. Uh, like it is right now operated in Oakland. Huh? But sure, uh, if there are cities where you have uh, automatic trains, so it means uh, like Copenhagen Metro, everything is fully automatic. Uh, so you have no drivers. There are several cities like that in, in Europe. I guess in other parts of the world without driver. You have very current, uh, several airports as well. They have such a type of metro without drivers. Huh? But it's not the case in, in Oakland. Huh? But it might be an, uh, an idea for the future, eh, Francois? I guess, I guess so, yeah. But you need a lot of changes huh? because uh, the level of automation is not the same. Uh, so you, you need to change a lot of things. Huh? But there will be some differences with um, when you're actually getting on the train. So that will be quite easy for passengers, won't it? Uh, compared to automatic? Uh, or... No, like for passengers... Um, They'll just have a, a, a like a swipe card or something. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. They, they can use the op card like uh, they are doing right now. And as well, uh, what will change is the frequency of the trains. So there will be more trains. So we are talking uh, at the, uh, when the, the network will be at full capacity, it's 24 trains per hour per direction. So you imagine it's a lot of trains. So you will not be, um, you will not look at the timetable so much. You know that you go to Aotea, you wait a couple of minutes and you will have a train. Uh, so it will be a shift from a train, what is it, train-based uh, train system to a metro-based system, yeah? Where, uh, because when you take the metro, you don't look at the time, you just take the metro, you wait a couple of minutes. Uh, so that will be uh, one of the major challenge. Uh, the shift from a train-operated system to a metro-operated system, yeah? Yeah, maybe so, that's a, um, maybe that's the a project you guys could. Sorry, Wilson, I talked over the top of you. Carry no, right, on. Right. I was going to say that's that could be a um, project that these guys could work on in the future. Um, Self-driving trains that these these kids can come up with. Yeah, that's right. And maybe looking at you know the benefits or some of the um, some of the things that aren't so good about a self-driving train. What 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 are the what are the differences between driverless or driver train, trains that are driven by somebody? Yeah, that's um, it's a really interesting point. I mean, the thing is, I guess if you're in a tunnel, it's possibly quite different to being on the land, um, because generally speaking, if, if it's a tunnel built just for a train, there's not going to be much, really anything else on the track. Whereas above ground, um, there's a lot of crossing. So. Um, yeah, lots of things to consider about that sort of thing. 
Thanks, guys. Uh, so I think we're up to your fourth question now. Thank you for that. Hi, my name is Ayla. Can you work in any type of weather? Uh, Ayla. We just that. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the question. Um, we don't always enjoy it, but um, yeah, we do pretty much work in most weather conditions um, to get the job done. Um, yeah, so from when it's really hot outside to uh, when it's really wet, um, the team on site yeah, pretty much work through it. I'm pretty lucky though. I've got a half, half, half base. Like I'm half base in the office, so sometimes I can hide in the office if I don't want to get my hair wet. But um, yeah, we we work through pretty much all conditions. The side on team are, uh, do a great job in it. But Wilson, you wouldn't be getting your hair wet if you have um, a hard hat. Oh on. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wilson, with with that weather, must come some. Uh, some extra things you need to be particularly careful about because I know health and safety is a big part of yep. working um, on the city rail link. So, can you give us an example of some things that might make working uh, a little bit more difficult or demanding, or things you need to be particularly thoughtful of in terms of health and safety? Uh, yep. So in the in the summer when it's really hot, um, we still have to wear um, full PPE or um, protective gear. So full covered from head to toe um, just to protect ourselves from the um, works on site. Um, but yeah, I think the main one in that would be um, protection from the sun. Um, um, wearing a lot of sunblock and um, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest risk in summer. But then in the, during the winter, for the total opposite and um, there's a lot of rain, as you, as you know. Um, so we just have a lot of um, pumps around the site to transfer the water away from where we're working. Um, so the guys can, the team on site can get the job done easier. Actually, that just reminds me, thanks, Wilson. There's an interesting video um, is on the website, the field trip website, where um, Angel, who was the Toyota who for the videos, for the video tour, uh, she talks to somebody about how the water that's taken off, pumped off the site is treated before it goes back into yep. the stormwater system. So you can have a look at that. So it's, um, not only health and safety for the workers, but also health and safety for the environment. Yep. The okay, that's great, guys. So we're up to your fifth question, please. Hi, my name is Case. How many people get injured on site? Thanks, Case. Thanks, yep. Yeah, thank you for the question, yeah. Uh, first, uh, just to put a little bit of perspective, we have several objectives in our alliance, and uh, the first one is about uh, health and safety. Uh, so it's clearly that uh, the priority, uh, health and safety, uh, is the priority, uh, what does it, over, uh, what does it cost on the time schedule? So we, we, we enforce that on site, uh, enforce people are, stopping if conditions are not considered to be safe, because we want absolutely that the people they enjoy working here and that they come back home safely uh, and they can enjoy the life with our family. But unfortunately, we have a few accidents. So uh, over the last month, uh, we work about half millions of hours per uh, month. 
So just to consider, it's about about two thousand, a little bit two thousand to two thousand five hundred people working on the project. So it's quite a lot of people, huh? and uh, we have about uh, one point one to two persons being injured per month. Yeah? Uh, unfortunately, fortunately for the time being, it's only minor injuries, uh, a few stitches, uh, or people receiving dust uh, in their eyes, and we need to, to go to the doctor to clean their eyes. Uh, so, yeah, so it's a, it's a fight of every day to, to ensure that uh, people are not injured, and uh, and uh, as well if there are injuries, it's the minimum injuries. You have to realize that there has been a big uh, improvement in the construction industry uh, in the past years in terms of accidents. Huh? Uh, and it's like the, what was uh, encountered on the roads. Huh? Uh, uh, it took a while for the people to what is it, to adapt the way they are driving to limit the car accidents. Huh? And we are on this uh, journey. Huh? Uh, so we try to, to get to zero accident, which is not so easy, huh? but uh, we have still uh, some people injured, but uh, so far it's not, uh, it's minor injuries. Huh? Yeah, so um, just to re reiterate what um, Francois said, um, as you can imagine, working construction is quite dangerous. Um, there's like a lot of um, big diggers and cranes and trucks that we, that we have to, um, I guess, use as part of our job. Um, yeah, so, and those plants are quite strong compared to us. Um, and yeah, so we can't avoid any, we can't avoid injuries, although we try our best um, and try to put controls in place. Um, but yeah, like Francois said, at the Link Alliance, our main aim is um, to get everyone home safely to their families um, in the state that they arrived in the morning. So, yeah. And it seems like, you know, as a visitor, um, when Shelley, the other learned Karahi, and I were there with Angel making the videos and going around to different sites, it seems as as somebody from the outside coming in, it's like, oh, it's so, health and safety is so over the top, it seems. But when you, you start to realise, like Francois said, two to two and a half thousand people working on this, this job. Um, like Wilson said, lots of heavy equipment, big trucks going backwards and forwards. Sometimes the weather's playing a factor. You know, it's just so important that every detail is followed. And you, you know, you stop when you stop, you cross when you're allowed to cross. Um, you've got all that gear that you wear called PPE, personal protective equipment. And um, and you start to actually just get used to following the procedures. And um, you know, to, I think to get away with a bit of dust in the eyes and, and a few stitches over a month with that many people on such an amazingly huge job in construction is pretty good. Obviously, zero is, is the goal, but um, yeah, um, it's, a, it's a really neat video, actually, one of the first ones on the Google Earth tour, which you can watch where Angel goes and meets uh, Joe, who's the health and safety manager, and, there's a, and he goes through some of the different... Um, uh, learning tools and um, machines that you can have a look at to when you learn about health and safety and avoiding accidents on the job. So um, make sure you check that video out if you haven't already. Okay, I think um, we're up to question number six now. Sorry, I've some silly person in my family, I bought a new puppy. 
<laughs> so I just told him to get off the couch. Hi, my name's Tiana. Hi, my name's Cameron. What are the various materials used in the construction of the stations? Wow. Yeah, good question. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, I think the main um, materials that we use on site um, would be concrete, um, a bit of steel, um, and uh, timber. I think those are the main ones. We, we use a lot of, um, we import a lot of materials like um, different gravels and um, soil types to, that we need. Uh, but yeah, concrete and steel are probably the main main materials that we use. Okay. Wilson, is there um, some differences between the, the type of concrete that you use around sites for different jobs? Uh, yeah, so um, depending on um, what, what it's used for, there's different um, strength types. So obviously if it's a very big structure, an important structure, um, they'd use a high strength concrete. Um, uh, but if it's, say, I think blinding or something, um, it'd be, you'd use a lesser strength concrete. Um, but yeah, I'm no expert in concrete. I don't know, Francois, maybe you um, no, I'm not specialist, but I know a little bit of concrete. What we are, what we are trying to do is to, to use a flyage as much as possible. So uh, the, the, the beauty with flyage is that we reduce the CO2 impact because flyage is a byproduct of the, of the coal, burning of the coal. So you need to have a power plant, electrical power plant working with coal. I think that is the case in Australia, some of them. Yeah. Uh, and we use that uh, the byproduct of the rest of what is remaining from the combustion of the coal, and we mix it to cement with cement, and we are lowering the CO2 impact. Yeah. Uh, so that is one way, because you have to realize that concrete, it's about the 5 to 10% of CO2 emissions in the world, so it's quite a significant part. Uh, right now, there are uh, even better concrete, which are uh, used in Europe, we call it low emission carbon concrete. Uh, uh, instead of using uh, uh, what is it, clinker, uh, which is made uh, what is it, by uh, burning uh, what is it, material at very high temperature, uh, we are using uh, some, uh, some slag, which is a byproduct again, huh? or polymers and things like that. So by that, you can reduce even the, the, the the emissions of carbon by a factor of five or something like that. Yeah. So there are a lot of research to lower the CO2 uh, impact of, uh, of concrete. Yeah. And there's a lot of concrete being used. <laughs> yes. What, um, there's been some estimates, hasn't there, with, with the actual amount of concrete required for this job, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Well, making them think now. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's, a, let me uh, think it's about 120,000 cubic meters, if I'm correct, yes. Yeah. So what was that? 120,000, uh, I think, cubic meters of concrete, if I'm correct. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a, lot. Lot. That's a lot of yeah. concrete. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, New Zealand's biggest construction project. So you would expect that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Wilson, so with the, um, with the concrete, you get a lot of steel, don't you? So 
Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about that relationship? So you have, you see lots of steel rods been put together and, and then, then concrete's put down on top of that. How does that work? Yeah, so um, concrete is very um, strong uh, when it's compressed. So um, when it's like pushed together, I guess, um, concrete's very strong, but it's weak when you're sort of pulling it apart. Um, so it will, having steel in it, it acts as a um, strengthener in the tension. So when you pull it, it um, it's stronger, I guess, in that, that regard. So they work together, the steel and the concrete, um, to resist both the um, crushing forces and the pulling away forces, I guess you could say. Yeah, so that's really interesting. Okay, right. Well, so Wilson, now you're a you're an engineer, right? Yeah, a junior engineer. Yeah. Junior engineer. So, um, what made you get into this sort of work? Um, to be honest, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at school, but um, I guess I was all right at maths and enjoyed a bit of science. Um, um, and I was just sort of pushed in this direction. But then when I got here, I realised that you could do a lot with um, engineering. A lot of there's a lot of problem solving. Um, um, yeah, and it's just a great. I guess it sets you up um, to think um, about how we can tackle problems and uh, come up with solutions. So with our classes here, we have um, Gladstone and our and our, our listening school, which I can't remember from yesterday. It's great to see you here again today. Put your hand. I'd say yesterday. Oh, I, said, oh, I, oh, I, I said yesterday. Put your hands up um, if you wanted to be an engineer. Put your hands up. I don't know if I did this one though. Put your hands up if you did. I say this, Barry. If you know somebody who's an engineer, yeah, you did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your hands up if you're related to that person. Right. So yeah, it's it's uh, and it's great that you're finding out about these this this uh, engineering as a career because um. You know, we're continuing to build things around the place. So um, it's certainly a good industry to get into. And uh, having met people like Wilson and Francois, uh, they seem to really get a lot of enjoyment and satisfaction out of their jobs. And I know that um, it's a great team, the Link Alliance team. So um, certainly something to consider as a, as a future career option when you get around to it. Well, it's been wonderful having you guys join us on the web conference this morning. Once, once again, thank you to Wilson and uh, Francois for giving out your time to answer our questions and to uh, our, our listening school, Oaroa, and our speaking school, Gladstone. Great questions. Um, remember to uh, get back on the website if, you've, if you uh, haven't watched all the videos. Carry on with those and our background discover more pages and, and quizzes are there for you as well. And uh, a, a newsletter will be sent out to teachers, which has a link to the recording or, or gives you information about how to access the recording of this web conference should you want to. But other than that, uh, have a great day. You can all unmute and say goodbye now. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Have a great day. Have a great day. It brings our web conference to an end.